Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. You may be seated as you're being seated. If you'll find your Bibles and go to Daniel chapter 2. Pastor Oscar, I am so, so very grateful for you and the ministry uh, with our Spanish service that takes place every week. Some of you may not be aware, every Sunday we have six preaching points here at Murphy Road. The three services that I preach and then at 12.30, Pastor Oscar preaches in Spanish. At 5.30, Pastor Benoy preaches in our Asian Indian service. Then we have a uh, service that meets each week at Orchard Park Senior Community, where we're blessed to lead a Bible study and a worship service every week. Uh, and then we're also praying about a, a new opportunity that has arisen at a senior community in Saxe. And so we're hoping to be able to walk through that door in the, in the days ahead. So very thankful that the gospel is continuing to go out. also want to remind you that Christianity is not just an American thing, that Christianity is an international thing. And around the throne of God, there will be people from every nation, every tribe singing praises to our Lord. Uh, and that's a cool deal. Uh, I, I heard a statistic the other day that said on a Sunday, 86,000 people around the world will profess faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. And of those 88,000 people, and of those 88,000, 6,000 of them will be in the United States or Western Europe. And so God is doing a great work uh, in our own nation, and God is doing a great work uh, in the Africa, Asia, South America, all over the world. And uh, this morning, as we see nations come together, we see the idea of how we are all one in Christ Jesus, united by who he is. I hope you have your Bible today, because we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. And I maintain it's a good thing to read the Bible in church. Okay, so we're going to be in Daniel chapter two. And let me start by asking you this question. Do you ever feel like most of the people around you have lost touch with reality? Do you ever feel like most of the people around you have lost touch with reality? Some of you have bosses at work that you feel like are living on some other planet. And some of you who are bosses at work, you have employees and you're like, what kind of reality do they live in? They think that we just have an endless supply of money. Some of you parents think that your children, you're not sure exactly how they are actually from you because they are so different than you. And some of you children look at your parents and you think uh, they are just half crazy. I'm just not sure uh, what to do. And then you look at the world around you and all the stuff that's happening with ISIS over there in the Middle East, and you see the multiple revolutions that have taken place in the last year, and then you have the Ebola situation and all the, the concern that that brings us, and then you have bizarre things happening in Houston where the mayor uh, subpoena issuing subpoenas to, to get pastor's sermons. I mean, all she has to do is go to church and she can hear the sermons, but you know, this bizarre kind of stuff that's taking place there. And so sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question, how can we find godly wisdom in a crazy world? 
Now, there is a truth that I think we do need to marinate on, and that is that the challenges that we face, though they may have different flavors, they are nothing new. Solomon, years ago, wrote a book called Ecclesiastes in which he said, there's really nothing new under the sun. Every generation deals with problems. Every generation has concerns. Every generation deals with people, particularly within the Christian community. In the Christian community, we deal with people who are trying to push us back. Every generation deals with those type of challenges. And Daniel faced many of the same challenges that we face today. The year was 605 B.C. The Babylonian Empire was expanding, and the army marched to the nation of Judah. They surrounded Jerusalem, besieged it, and conquered the Jewish people. They took the best and the brightest of Jerusalem back to Babylon. Those who were descendants of the royal lineage, those who were nobility, they took those young men back to Babylon and they put them in a three-year indoctrination, indoctrination program. They were going to teach them the Babylonian ways. They were going to brainwash them. They were going to separate them from their previous life and give them a new life. And if they followed orders correctly, after three years, they would find themselves in a position of leadership. They would be administrators within the Babylonian empire. And as the king tried to hold together his expanding empire, these young men who had been taken into exile, they would be liaisons that would help him communicate and manage the province there in Judah. So Daniel was one of these young men, the best and the brightest, that was put into this program as a teenager. But all the way away from home, he still maintained his faith in God. In fact, the Bible says that he determined to follow God, not to leave behind his belief in Christ, or belief in God. Well, things were going well for Daniel. He made it through the program. God had blessed him. But then something bizarre happened. In the second year, I'm in verse 1 of chapter 2, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him, and sleep deserted him. So Nebuchadnezzar had a bad dream. We've probably all had a bad dream in our lifetime the other day, other night. Stacy and I were alerted because our daughter Karis was screaming in her bed. Karis is six and doesn't do that very often, but they had had a fire drill at school, and she was dreaming that the house was on fire. And so I had to come in and comfort her and hold her, and she came and stayed in our bed for, for a couple of hours, and there was no way she was going to go back to sleep very quickly because she was so troubled by the dream. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar had had a bad dream, and it was so bad he could not sleep, and this was apparently a recurring dream. He was having it on uh, multiple occasions. It was also not an average dream. This was a dream that God had given to him. God was going to show King Nebuchadnezzar something, and God was going to reveal his glory through the dream. Well, in verse 2, the king gave orders to summon the diviner priests, the mediums, the sorcerers, and Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. And when they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream, and am anxious to understand it. 
And the Chaldeans spoke to the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. So the king decides that he's going to summon all of the magicians in the land. So he calls in David Blaine. He calls in Penn and Teller. He calls in David Copperfield, Siegfried and Roy. And then he summons those who were supposed to be mediums or astrologers, those that could tell the future. So the Long Island medium shows up. Gandalf comes in. Yoda, for all you Star Wars fans, comes in. Even Harry Potter is standing before the king. Well, apparently the king had had these type of dreams before, and whenever he had these dreams, he would call in the magicians and the sorcerers. The Chaldeans were known for being a part of the occult, and they would interpret the dreams for him. So in verse 5, the king replied to the Chaldeans, My word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now, understand this. The king's not just asking them this time to give him the interpretation. He's saying, I want you to tell me what I dreamed. And if you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a garbage dump. Nice guy, isn't he? But if you make a dream, if you make the dream and its interpretation known to me, you'll receive gifts, a reward, and great honor for me. So make the dream and its interpretation known to me. And they answered a second time, May the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will give the interpretation. And the king replied, I know for certain you are trying to gain some time, because you see that my word is final. Basically, you're stalling. If you don't tell me the dream... There is one decree for you. You have conspired to tell me something false or fraudulent until the situation changes. So tell me the dream, and I will, not, and I will know you can give me its interpretation. Well, the king has gone off the deep end a bit. He's calling in these advisors, and he's telling them, I want you not only to interpret my dream, but I want you to read my mind and tell me what I dreamed. And the stakes are so high here. Get it right, and I'll reward you. You'll have a new chariot. You'll have a showcase showdown worth of stuff. Get it wrong, I'm going to cut you into pieces and burn your house down. Wow. Well, the Chaldeans answer the king. No one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of a diviner priest, medium, or Chaldean. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. Well, it's never becoming. When you're a diviner priest or a medium or a Chaldean, it's never becoming when you start whining. But that's exactly what the Chaldeans did right here. This is unfair. Nobody can do this, king. All the other kings tell us their dreams first. Okay? Come on, this isn't right. Now, the Chaldeans did get one thing right. They said the only one who could do this would be a god. That mere mortals can't read others' minds, and we can't tell you 
what you were dreaming. But the king would have none of that. In verse 12, the king became violently angry, and he gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed, and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. So the wise men leave the king's palace, and as they're leaving, their phone beeps. So they look at it, and there's a text from their spouse. How did it go? And so they respond, not well. Time to move. (laughs) So the wise men go back to their house, and there as they walk in the living room, scrolling across the bottom of the TV, is breaking news. King decrees that all wise men are to be killed. Now, unfortunately for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though they were not present whenever they stood before the king, they were considered wise men there in the Babylonian Empire. So when the king made this decree, he was not particular. He just issued a blanket decree. And he said, all of those that are in this wise men class, you're going to be executed. Now, Daniel must have felt like everyone around him had just lost touch with reality. He's about to be killed, and he has done absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, he hasn't even done anything. So how do you react when you find yourself in a bizarre situation? How do you react when you find yourself in that situation where you're like, where did that come from? Has everybody around me just lost it? Are they, all, are they all crazy? Now, thankfully, this never happens at work, right? Right? This never happens in our family relationships, right? Thanksgiving's coming up. Christmas is coming up. And our families always get along perfectly well, don't they? Everybody is always very, very sane at those gatherings. This never happens in our marriages, right? We're always the perfect family. This never happens in churches, right? Well, of course, bizarre things happen in all those settings. Anytime you get human beings together, you're going to have some bizarre things occur along the way. So how do you react when you find yourself in this type of situation. Well, we learn eight things from Daniel. Number one, he calmly tried to gather the facts. Verse 14 says, then Daniel responded with tact and discretion. Two words there that are key. His response was tactful and he used discretion. He wasn't a smart aleck. He wasn't cynical. He didn't fly off the handle. He responded with tact and discretion to Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? And then Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. Now before Daniel went his character, 
And you see in these first two reactions here that evidently the king and the king's men, they knew Daniel, and Daniel's character gave testimony to the kind of man that he was because here he goes to the very man that has been assigned the the duty of carrying out the executions, and he asked the executioner to clarify the situation. Give me the facts. Help me to get a better understanding of what is happening. Well, after Daniel calmly gathered the facts, Daniel then, number two, talked to the source of the problem. Verse 16 says, Daniel went and he asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation. Daniel didn't go around talking about the king. Instead, Daniel went and talked to the king. It's always better to talk to people than about people. Again, you see Daniel's past character serving him well because when he asked the king for more time, the king graciously granted Daniel more time. He didn't go ballistic as he had done with the Chaldeans. Well, number three, Daniel then enlisted the help of godly people. In verse 17, Daniel went to his house and he told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter. And I want you to know, notice that Daniel didn't go to the astrologers. He didn't go to the other people that were in the wise men class. Instead, he went to the three people, the three people that he knew walked with God. He went to three people that he knew would offer him godly wisdom. It is so important whenever you're trying to respond to a situation that you have some people in your life that you know walk with God, that you have some people in your life that you know will bring to you godly wisdom. Everybody can issue you an opinion. Everybody has a thought on a matter. But we have to be wise enough and smart enough to build into our lives some people, some friendships with individuals that we know, hey, that person, they walk with God. They're going to have wisdom. And whenever they speak and whenever I talk to them about it, I know that I'm going to hear from a person that knows God. Well, number four, Daniel and his friends then sought God. In verse 18, he urged them, to ask the God of heaven for mercy concerning this mystery so Daniel and his friends would not be killed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. Now notice how Daniel and his friends react. They sought the face of God. They spent time praying. They sought God's direction. They didn't go spilling out on Facebook. They didn't pack their bags and make a run for it. Instead, they bowed their knees and talked to the Heavenly Father. They prayed. They sought God's direction. They went beyond just their own opinions and their own ideas, and they sought the face of the Heavenly Father. I'm afraid, church, that prayer is a dying Christian discipline. Instead, we would prefer to worry, we'd prefer to gossip, we'd prefer to talk to others instead of talking to God. But Daniel and his friends, they talked to God. And then number five, Daniel heard from God. Verse 19 says, The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. Who knows how long 
Daniel had been praying. How many days had gone by. But God showed up. And the mystery was revealed. You know, it's so neat whenever God speaks. A few months ago, I was having lunch with a a new missionary in our area, Brent Sorrells. He's a missionary with Pan-Asian Outreach. And he was telling me about his ministry. He is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to minister to Asians that have, that have moved to our area, particularly uh, Vietnamese, and within that segment, uh, particularly those that come from a Buddhist background. Well, Murphy is one in five Vietnamese, and so about one in five in Murphy come from a Buddhist background. So, you know, I was all ears. We were, we were talking and, and, here, and discussing that. That's just people up in the Life Cafe. If anybody wants to build us a build, bigger building, just donate today, and we'll take the noise away. Okay? Uh, we'll take an offering at the end of the service, and you can do that. I'll make it very, very quiet in here. But anyway... Um, he was telling me about his ministry and all this, and, and so we come back to the church. He gets in his car. I have to go run an errand, so I, I get in my car, and as we're leaving, a young man from the community comes to the front door, knocks on the door. Uh, Paul and Paul answer it, talk to him. He's a Vietnamese young man from a Buddhist background, and he comes to the door saying, uh, I'm having some problems and I, I just felt God saying that I needed to go to this church and ask somebody to help me. Paul and Paul lead him to the Lord that day, and he becomes a Christian. Now, I'm hearing this story, and I get to meet the young man later on whenever I come back, and I'm thinking to myself, I think God may be trying to say something here. I'm thinking that maybe the fact that I had a lunch with the missionary to the Vietnamese people in our area, and then a Vietnamese person comes to the front door and says, I'm seeking God, maybe there's something to this. You know, it's wonderful whenever God speaks and and he reveals to us an answer to prayer. By the way, we had been praying for three, four years that God would send a man of peace that would be able to help us reach into the Vietnamese community Within our, within our area. It was an answer to prayer. Well, notice whenever Daniel heard from God, he praised God. The Scriptures continue in verse 19, at the end of verse 19. And Daniel praised the God of heaven and declared, May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belongs to Him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power, and now you have let me know what we asked of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. Daniel didn't just say, okay, God, thank you for revealing that to me. I've got it from here. Instead, Daniel took time to praise God. As a follower of Christ, have you ever learned to praise God? I find that sometimes people attend church year after year, and they still don't necessarily understand why it is that we praise God. Why do we sing before we open the Word of God? Because we've been called to praise God. And music is the language of the soul. And that's why whenever we stand to sing, it shouldn't be like we're at a funeral. We shouldn't be looking around going, did someone die? 
There should be a joy in the air, a zeal in our voice because we're praising God. Whenever God blesses you, whenever God answers a prayer, take time to praise God. The prophets, the great men and women of the scriptures, they all praised God. The entire book of Psalms is about praising God. And whenever Daniel heard from God, before he did anything else, he praised God. And then Daniel had the courage to trust God. All right, Daniel, you've heard from me. Now you got to go stand before the king. So therefore, Daniel went to Arioch in verse 24, whom the king had assigned to destroy the wise men of Babylon. Remember, he's talking to his own executioner. And he came and said to him, don't kill the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king and I will give him the interpretation. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found a man among the Judean exiles who can let the king know the interpretation. Don't you imagine that Daniel was shaking in his sandals? I've heard from God. I believe this is how God has answered my prayer. But now I've got to go stand before the king himself and tell him the message. Number eight, Daniel gave all the credit to God. The king said in reply to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king, no, no wise man, medium, diviner, priest, or astrologer is able to make known to the king the mystery he asked about. I can't do this, king. There's no man on earth, no woman on earth who can give you what you ask for. But verse 28, but there is a God in heaven. I know somebody who can. There is a God in heaven who reveals mystery and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Your dreams and your dream and the visions that came into your mind as you lay in bed were these. Daniel didn't take credit for this. Daniel gave glory to God. He understood that God was at work, and he understood that he was not the star of the show, and so he sought this as an opportunity to reflect the glory from himself back to God. The books of Daniel and the book of Revelation and Revelation have a lot in common. Both of those books have sections that deal with the end times. And so in the dream, we actually have an unfolding or a revealing of the salvation history amongst the Gentile people, how God was going to bring about the coming of the Messiah. And so Daniel begins to share with the king his dream. The king had seen a great statue. That statue was colossal in nature. It made the king seem very insignificant. And then the king had dreamed that a huge rock had come out of nowhere and it had destroyed the statue. It had so destroyed it that it was like the dust after a harvest or after a mowing. There was absolutely nothing left of the statue. And in its place, this rock had grown into a great mountain that filled the earth. You can see why the king had a difficult time understanding his dream. 
Well, Daniel says, let me give you the interpretation, King Nebuchadnezzar. The head of the statue was made out of gold. And King Nebuchadnezzar, that head represents you. God has exalted you. The sovereign God of the universe has put you in the role of the king. And your empire is great. You are the greatest king in all of the earth. Everybody knows your power and who you are, and you've been put into this place by God. But the statue that you saw, the arms and the chest, were made of silver. And after you are gone, King Nebuchadnezzar, another empire is going to rise up, and they are going to overthrow the Babylonians. History tells us that that empire was the empire of the Medes and the Persian. Well, the belly and the thighs were made of bronze, And Daniel told the king, there's going to be another kingdom that comes up, the Macedonian kingdom, the kingdom led by Alexander the Great. And he will come up and he will overthrow the Persians. Well, the legs of the statue were made of iron. And Daniel tells the king, there's still another empire that's going to rise up. And that empire is going to be greater than the others. And that empire is going to be the Roman Empire. And it will overthrow the Greeks. And yet that empire will be built on an unstable foundation. And it will be cracked from within. And then Daniel tells the king that there was a rock not made by human hands. And that that rock was greater than all these kingdoms. Everything man can build all the great empires that man might envision, there is a rock that is greater than all those things, and that rock is going to come from heaven, and that rock is going to destroy the statue. You see, the rock was the coming Messiah. And as we know from our New Testament understanding, that Messiah was born in Bethlehem. That Messiah would live the sinless life. That Messiah would die on the cross for your sins and mine. That Messiah would overcome death and rise again. And the scriptures say that Messiah is none other than Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the rock of Daniel. And that Messiah will not just rule for a season, but the truth of that Messiah will will grow into a great mountain that will fill the earth for all eternity. And even though today we live in a world where our soul can be redeemed, but our, our flesh is still stained by sin, even though today we live in a world where things are not right, where sometimes things detach themselves from reality, and we find ourselves dealing with sickness and trouble and being overwhelmed with anxiety, we realize that our faith is attached to hope. Because just as Christ came in Bethlehem, one day he will come again and he will purge the world from sin and darkness. And Jesus Christ will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, not just for a season like you, King Nebuchadnezzar, but Jesus Christ will reign. The rock will never be overthrown. He is the mountain that will fill the whole earth and he will reign for all eternity. That king is the full interpretation of your dream. Now, how do you think the king reacted? Well, I imagine it got quiet in there, kind of like it did in here. Well, somewhere in the story, God had convicted the heart of a pagan king. And when he heard the truth of God, the Bible says in verse 46 that King Nebuchadnezzar fell down, paid homage to Daniel, and gave orders 
to present an offering and incense to him. And the king said, Daniel, your God is indeed God of gods, Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, since you were able to reveal this mystery. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's theology still needed a little bit of work. He hadn't yet realized that God is the only God, but he was realizing that God is the greatest. And then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many generous gifts. And he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and the chief governor over all the wise men of Babylon. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to manage the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Now, I don't know what type of bizarre situation you might be dealing with today. I do know this, that in each of our lives, there's difficulty, there's challenge. There's situations where we have to either run to or run from wisdom. And so I want to land this message today very quickly because I know it's getting close to lunchtime. But I want to land this message by reminding you of these eight things that you can do to find godly wisdom in a crazy world. If you're a note taker, now would be a good time to go ahead and take notes. Wow, I see pens and pencils and phones coming out. You're not even checking email. That's impressive. I like it. Eight things. Number one, when you find yourself in a bizarre situation, stay calm and gather the facts. Daniel used tact and he used discretion. He didn't fly off the handle. He didn't do foolish things. He was calm and he gathered the facts. Number two, talk to the source rather than about the source. It's a lot healthier to talk to people than to gossip about them. Number three, surround yourself with godly friends. You need some people in your life who can bless you with godly wisdom. Some people that walk with the Lord that you can go to and you can ask to help you with insight and you can ask them to help you pray through matters in your life. Number four, pray and seek God's direction. Pray about it. We looked at the passage in Philippians a few months ago. Instead of worrying, pray. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything the Bible said. Pray. Seek God's direction. Number five, hear from God. God speaks to us, sometimes through the Word of God, sometimes through the Holy Spirit, sometimes through circumstances, sometimes it comes to us through the wisdom of other believers. But hear the Word of God. Whenever you hear the Word of God, praise God. Take time to praise Him. Then go forward. Move on. Press forward and trust God. And through it all, give God the glory. You are not the star of the show. God is. We are created in the image of God, which ultimately means that our lives are made to reflect God. So when glory comes to us, we deflect it so that it might shine upon Him because we want to make much of God. Would you guys be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The musicians are going to come. As always, I'm here at the front to pray with you. If there's anything that I may help you with today, it is my joy. If today needs to be the day where you believe in Christ, I would love to talk to you about what it means to be a believer in Christ.
I encourage you as the music is played that you praise God, that you don't simply be someone in the audience, but that you be a participant in the worship of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you, Lord, that even though there are, there are moments where it just seems like life is spinning out of control and, and there are circumstances that we don't know the answers to, we thank you, Father, that you are sovereign and you are in control, and we pray that you will give us the wisdom to respond with tact and discretion, to be a source of calm rather than to be a source of panic. We pray, Father, that you might bless us with people in our lives that walk with you, that we can go to and find strength and help from. We pray, Father, that instead of being filled with worry, that our lives might be filled with prayer, that we will have a peace that passes all understanding because we draw near to you. And Lord, we pray that whenever you speak to us and show us This is who I am, and this is where I'm working. This is what I've said, that whenever we hear from you, that we will have the courage to be men and women of faith. And Father, we pray that we might not be glory seekers, that we won't live our lives simply seeking to exalt ourselves, but may we live our lives trying to minister to people at their point of need and make much of you. Help us to realize, Lord, that our life is a gift that you have given us so that we might in turn invest it in your kingdom. And Lord, may we have the joy of seeing you do some things that only you can do. We praise you today because you are our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.